Hey, everybody. Welcome to Stick to Football, Episode 20. This is your host, Matt Miller, with my boy, Connor Rogers. Tell everybody hi, Connor. Let's hear that voice. What's going on, everybody? And it's good to have Matt back with us this week. You could tell I'm a, I'm a little scratchy still. I, I have no idea what happened. I lost my voice. You guys probably heard, actually, that end of uh, Episode 18. I started to lose my voice. It's back a little bit. Uh, I might be hacking and coughing, uh, just a heads up. So hopefully Dan, our kick-ass editor, will, will help me out and make me sound beautiful. But we have a, a really big show for you guys today. I'm excited about our guest because he actually used to work at Bleacher Report way back in the day. Now he's the team reporter for the Kansas City Chiefs. BJ Kissel is going to join us to talk about his path to the NFL. Because I know that like when I first got the idea, Connor, that we were going to do a podcast, it was like, man, I want to get scouts on here. I want to get guys who work in recruiting. I want to get just a different like cornucopia of people who work in the NFL to show people that there are a lot of different job opportunities out there within the league. So BJ is going to give us a really cool look at that. He is a Kansas City guy as well. So we'll get to talk a lot of barbecue and beer, which is always fun. But uh, we're going to go around the league in a little bit. We're going to preview the AFC West and NFC West. We're going to tell you one college player that you need to know. College football starts this weekend. I don't know if you guys realize that. There's only like six games, but college football's back. I'm very, very excited about that. But kind of first, we got to talk about what the hell's going on in the NFL right now. And all anyone's talking about is that hit on Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, by the the Browns, uh, uh, Brian Bodie Calhoun. Hit him a little below the knee, maybe at the knee. Uh, were you screaming at your TV pissed off? Uh, I obviously was watching that game for multi, you know, multiple reasons. It's a good matchup just to see what Deshaun Kaiser has for us. And we always talk about this rookie class. The Browns are one of those teams that have, from the last two drafts, so many young players to watch. David Joku, obviously, who it seems like nobody can get him the ball, which is very frustrating. But um, I am so frustrated at the at the outcry of that hit because... The game is so fast, and they've eliminated hits to the head, which is great. Yeah. That you're going to have guys hit people. When players go up for the ball or make – guys are going to get hit in the knee. It's going to happen. The game is too fast. And these guys, a lot of them, are playing for jobs, are playing for their money. None of it these days, which seems to be – very little of it is guaranteed. So you're going to go do whatever it takes to make the tackle. That's not a dirty hit. It it happens with the speed of the game. And it sucks that it, I mean, Beckham is hurt. But at the end of the day, this is football. And these things are going to happen with how the rules are constructed now. Yeah, I don't know what people expect. Like, where are you supposed to hit him? And if you guys... Yeah, I know on, on radio it sucks. You know, on a podcast it sucks. You can't you can't see what we're talking about. Surely you saw it on Twitter or you were watching the game. I don't know where he's supposed to hit him. It looked like Calhoun slipped, lost his footing a little bit. The ball was high, so Beckham did have to adjust and go over his head to get it. So I thought it was an ugly hit, not a dirty hit in any way. I mean, yes. if anyone who's ever played football can tell you, it is really hard to uh, to strike a ball carrier between the knee and the shoulder pad. And that's what that's what happened last night. Yeah, and I think when you're going to see a lot of these situations come up as players obviously are not going to hit high anymore. No, you're going to go lower. And you can't anymore. And listen, Beckham's not even obviously the biggest guy. It's going to happen to a lot of players like David Joku, bigger pass catchers that go across the middle. They're going to get hit low. Gronk and gets hit like seen, that. Look at Gronk. Three times Gronk a game. It, yeah. All the time it happens to Gronk. So it's frustrating, but it's like you said, Matt, it's a scary hit. It's not a dirty hit. 
And it's it's how the game is right now. And as unfortunate as that is, this is not going to be the last time we see something like this. On a more positive note, we are continuing to get good rookie quarterback play. Yeah, we really are. And I mean, I wrote about Pat Mahomes this week, and I think when you look at what he's doing, first off, the Chiefs play calling for him has been absolutely brilliant. They're maximizing his capabilities and putting him in situations to succeed. But you're seeing a lot of what Pat Mahomes can do on the move, the feel of the pocket, feel of pressure, pushing the ball at times. I I mean, it's just been a real his expectations were not that high, I think, right away because there was a development curve and he's blowing them away. And I think we're seeing Watson and Trubisky continue to play well. I think uh, Peterman has played well for Buffalo. I think this rookie quarterback class has just been really, really solid this spring, uh, summer so far. Really has been. And you mentioned, I think the Chiefs are doing a great job of of maximizing Mahomes' potential. Andy Reid did come out and say, listen, this is Alex Smith's job. There's no gray area. I, I liked that he you know, just came out and kind of squashed all those rumors. I, I think you look at, at Trubisky, you look at Watson, those are two guys who should be starting. And I'm anxious to see Trubisky with the ones. Hopefully it happens, you know, that we really haven't seen him with starting caliber players as of yet. So I would like to see that. And I tweeted last night, everyone keeps telling me that Deshaun Kaiser is not ready for the NFL. Do you think Brock Osweiler and Cody Kessler are? I mean, what? Come on, you know who those guys are. Kessler, very, very limited. Osweiler is shit when it comes to He's accuracy. Awful. Just awful. So, and, and I've had people on Twitter tell me, you will ruin Kaiser's development if you don't, if you start him right away. There is no factual basis for that at all. If people want to say, oh, Blake Bortles was rusted to the job. No, Blake Bortles sucks. That's nothing to do with when he was asked to play. If you are the best quarterback on the team, you should play. And if you are the quarterback of the future, and if you're a second-round pick, you presumably are, get out there. Learn on the job. Uh, because I, I think you look at someone like Paxton Lynch, who uh, I'm kind of jumping ahead in our rundown here, but Paxton Lynch can't beat Trevor Simeon out for the job. You got a seventh-round pick in Trevor Simeon, a first-round pick that you traded up for in Paxton Lynch, and he can't win the job. So sometimes you just need to get these guys out there, let them learn, let them play. And so when I look at the Browns, I would like to see Kaiser play. When I look at Kansas City, I think Alex Smith has to hold that job because you have a team with a chance to make a deep run into the playoffs. The Browns don't. It's all about getting younger. So I say put Kaiser out there. It's not like he's you know, 6'1", 200 pounds. He's a grown-ass man. He can handle... We saw him on, I don't know how many designed runs last night, so they're obviously not worried about him getting hit. I say put the kid out there. You're not going to hurt him more than Brian Kelly did. That's for damn sure. No, and you're right. And at the minimum, I would like to see Kaiser get opportunity with the first-string offensive line because it's a very good one right now. And we haven't gotten really to see much of that. So, listen, for another reason you'd like to see Kaiser... Besides the fact that Brock Osweiler sucks and probably always will suck, you know what Cody Kessler is and limits the offense significantly as much as Hugh you know, feels comfortable rolling with guys like that. Uh, you'd like to find out about Kaiser sooner than later because the Browns are getting better, but they're still going to be bad enough where they'll be in position to pick one of the quarterbacks next year. I, you see them finishing probably with a top 10 pick again, unless they really you know blow away expectations that are not very high. And there will be a quarterback available where they pick, and they need to know, if, is Deshaun Kaiser the future, or do they need to invest a high pick in quarterback? So th- there's a lot of reasons to play him outside of the fact that he's just the best of the three, and I don't really think it's very close right now. 
getting back to the Paxton Lynch situation, this is a gigantic disappointment because, and Matt, you might have more of a feeler this, you know, than I do from the people you talk to. Everybody in that Broncos organization probably wanted Paxton Lynch to win that job. Like if it was a tie, of course. that job was going to Paxton Lynch. He couldn't even come close to tying Simeon, who's another limited player. It's getting very scary, the Paxton Lynch situation right now, because coming out of college, he was a slow processor with that windup of a release that really helped defenders jump on his throws. And that doesn't get any easier in the NFL. Now you're hoping he obviously speeds up his processing. He goes through reads quicker. Maybe you can change that windup a little bit. None of that's happened. And he hasn't gotten better in any of those regards. And that's why he's sitting the bench. And I'm starting to question if he has any kind of future as a starting quarterback in this league. It's like you said, the tie goes to the first round pick every time. Every time. And here's here's the thing. I don't know that John Elway is that good of a general manager. And I, I know that might be controversial. He got lucky that Peyton Manning was run out of Indianapolis when he was hurt and opted to sign there. He He fell into some good situations. When you actually look at what John Elway has done as general manager, he hasn't really built a great team, especially not through the draft. I and mean, their draft classes, since he took over as general manager, have really not been... We we think of him as like, oh, he's won a Super Bowl and they they went to another one. But as the GM of that team, you know, since 2011 to now, and you could say 2011, you got Von Miller. I don't know that that was a hard decision. I, I, I was going to say, a lot of people would have made that pick. Right. I know, I remember back in the day, there was some... Uh, some thought that it would be Marcel Darius, but uh, Von Miller was uh, a lot of people expected that to be the pick. So he kind of fell into that one. Um, and and then you've just, you know, you have signed guys like Demarcus Ware, Akib Talib, TJ Ward, um, Emmanuel Sanders. So as an actual drafter, I, I think the boat is still out on John Elway and Paxton Lynch is going to be that signature first round pick that if you don't nail that one and uh, Shit, it's not like you could fire John Elway as general manager, I don't think, or as you know, pr- team president. But there's at least going to be a little more pressure, I would think, on him to get something done because it, that division is only getting better. The Raiders are only getting better. The Chiefs are uh, very, very uh, legit every year. The Chargers have a window and are getting better, especially on defense. The Broncos, and I've said this before, I picked them to finish last in that division this year. And I would double down on that just because of the uncertainty at the quarterback position. Uh, it's it's a mess right now. Another mess. Another first-round pick at quarterback. I forgot to put this on the rundown, but holy shit, we have to talk about it. Blake Bortles is awful, man. Chad Henney is about to take that job back. How? And, and what? Yeah. Oh, my God. And what we do, you know, Matt, what you and I do is we always are kind of a little ahead on the curve of the younger players in the league because that's kind of our niche role. And we've said for quite some time that this team, even this year, needed to get past hoping on Blake Bortles. And that is a gigantic swing and miss that they were comfortable going into this season with him once again. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we could talk about should they sign Kaepernick? They should have signed Kaepernick three months ago so that he could be ready to compete and know this offense. You sign a guy in late August, early September, you're not getting much from him early in the year, especially. So, you know what? If I'm Allen Robinson... That little sideline rant, that is PG-13, the stuff I'm saying behind closed doors because Bortles' accuracy is awful. His mechanics have not improved at all. I would say they've actually gotten worse. And now he looks like he's he's gun-shy. And so even his footwork is off now because he's 
It's like when he starts to release the ball, you see him think, oh, shit, this might get picked. Or, oh, shit, uh, this, you know, this is not going to hit the mark. So here we have a quarterback who three years in now, so we, we have a pretty good picture of who he is. He's completed 58.8% of his passes. He has thrown 51 interceptions in three years. That's like Tom Brady's decade. It's it's ridiculous. And I know it's not fair to compare anyone to Tom Brady, but we can officially say, the Stick to Football podcast will officially say, Blake Bortles is a bust. He is done. And someone in that front office, probably Dave Caldwell, is going to have to answer for what an awful pick they made there. Uh, they... I said this to Mello the other day. Uh, if, if you're a first-time listener, Mello's a, a, my assistant, my brother, sometimes a, a host of ours. I told him the other day, if they had just drafted Teddy Bridgewater, they probably are competing for a playoff spot right now. No, I mean, that's 100% fair. Now you start to get the fear of what something you and I always talk about is treading water, being in no man's land, because this team has had so many premium picks that it's impo- it's it's got to be impossible for them to be so bad they're a top three selection next year, right? I would think so. There's just there's a lot of talent there. There is a lot of talent there, and they're going to run the ball with Leonard Fournette a ton, and they're going to play pretty pretty decent on defense. And guess what? They get to play the New York Jets this year, so they'll probably beat them. And <laughs> that's another win. team that's a yeah yeah exactly. So when you look at it, the Jaguars are in such a bad spot right now because they could have had Deshaun Watson, they could have had Patrick Mahomes, they could have signed Kaepernick or anybody months ago and just had a chance. But now you're looking at Bortles. And like you said, Matt, he looks gun shy. He looks like he's worried every single missed throw counts against him. And it does at this point. And when you look at your teammates, I guess, turning on you or becoming frustrated with you, Allen Robinson is in a contract year. How do you think he feels right now? Oh, knowing geez. that he's a guy that could put up 1,200 yards and eight or ten, nine, ten touchdowns and go make a ton of money, which isn't very easy for skilled players to do anymore. Guaranteed money, not fake money. And he's in for, he's in trouble. He knows he's in trouble right now because. He's in a bad situation with bad quarterbacks, and it sucks. And the Jaguars, they screwed this up, and they got to figure it out next offseason. It just, it's really disappointing all around. Yeah, they really did screw it up, and, and we will see. I mean, I, I, they just hired a new head coach. They just hired a new head of football operations in Tom Coughlin. Uh, Doug Marone is the new head coach. They are safe, I would think, for a year, but there's going to be a shakeup there. Uh, before we get to BJ, before we bring uh, our intern Kennedy in for draft on draft, let's talk about the AFC West and the NFC West, Connor. Two very different divisions, though. I, I see the AFC West as being the best in the NFL right now, and I know the NFC East is loaded. I think the AFC West has the most talent in the NFL. I, I gave away a little bit earlier. I think the Broncos finished last in that division. They're getting older on defense. Huge question marks on the offensive line and at quarterback. So it comes down to the Chargers who are, once again, very banged up. Mike Williams of Forest Lamp, their first two picks in the draft, they're injured. The Kansas City Chiefs, and we're going to have B.J. Kissel on from the Chiefs in just a little bit to talk about that team. We know who they are. Rock solid. 10, 11, 12 wins every year. Well-coached. Well-coached. Very well-schemed. Andy Reid might be the best offensive schemer in the NFL. It's just a very good roster, too. I mean, they have depth. They have playmakers on both sides of the ball. They have young up-and-comers. The Chiefs are a playoff team, in my opinion. They're going to win, like I said, 10, 11, 12 games. The Oakland Raiders are the wild card here because they have the talent, I believe, to win 13 games. They also, I could see them going 9 and 7 and just being a frustrating team uh, if they lack consistency. 
I still have question marks about the secondary. I think at middle linebacker, they might have the worst middle linebacker talent in the NFL. They need to be listening to the podcast every week, uh, especially when the draft gets season gets here, so we could tell them which middle linebackers to be looking for. Yep. So I, I would I would put it like this. I think the Broncos finished fourth, Chargers third, Chiefs second, Raiders one. I'm I guess I'm buying the upward trajectory of the Raiders with Amari Cooper and Derek Carr continuing to gel and build chemistry. They've added some targets at tight end. And listen, I was a Marshawn Lynch skeptic. That dude, when he was running the other night, looked like he had been shot out of a cannon. You're you're not going to get 300 carries from him this year, but the carries you get are going to be fierce. I think he adds a little swagger to that team. He's going to add a little toughness to that team. And that's, in my opinion, that's good enough for a win or two. You made this pretty easy for me because I was pretty close to saying I have the same exact predictions. I'm going to flip the Chiefs and the Raiders. I think That's the Broncos finish last. It's not. And you you kind of just said, you know, why you think it can go either way. I think the Broncos finish last. I think their offensive situation is very scary. They still have a very good defense, but at some point you have to score points. And that's going to be a problem for the Jets this year on a much, much larger level that we've seen. They are not going to be able to score points. The Broncos defense is excellent. Like I said, it's going to be hard for them to score. The Chargers, I had really high hopes for them, but these injuries and just so many dominoes just don't, things just don't seem to fall their way. They have promise because they have pass rush talent. They have Phillip Rivers there. I thought they showed up the offensive line and got another skill player in Mike Williams. They lost both those guys already. It's very frustrating. Now, on to the cream of the crop of this division. I know the Raiders are the hot pick. I know they're the big pick to be able the team, the only team that could take on New England. I've said in the past, I think it's the Steelers. The Raiders are playing a game right now that is dictated on outscoring everyone. And that always comes back to bite you when it matters most. I think this defense is somehow worse than I expected. I think they have <laughs> problems at linebacker, like you said. I think they have gigantic problems in the secondary. I think even the players that get talked about in their secondary are just overrated. I, I think Carl Joseph's a nice player and Reggie Nelson. They're not going to change the fact that they don't have corners. They're not good enough to fix that. They're not the Seahawks back end. They are weak in up front. Khalil Mack's a great player. Bruce Irvin's a solid player. The interior of their line is very unproven. Teams are going to run the football against them and control the clock. And guess what team does that really well? The Kansas City Chiefs. And that's why the Chiefs are my pick to win this division. Whether it's Alex Smith, and I know that's not what all Chiefs fans want to hear, whether Pat Mahomes fills in down the stretch and the Mahomes era takes off, I have faith in this coaching staff. I have faith in this veteran defense. I think they have some young pieces now on offense. Obviously, Tyreek Hill is one of the biggest game-changing players on offense in the league now with his speed. And I I think when it comes down to it, I think it's going to be very close. I know Raiders fans are not going to be happy with me, and I do think they take a wild-card spot, but I think this is still the Chiefs division right now. And and something that I I should have pointed out that your, your thought process there kind of put me to, if I had to compare, because I think the Chiefs and Raiders are very close, except for when it comes to coaching. Because Andy yep. Reid's a better coach than Jack Del Rio. Matt Nagy is a better offensive coordinator than Todd Downing. Dave Taub, best special teams coordinator in the league. And, I mean, I like Ken Norton Jr. as a defensive coordinator. I know I've said before, players I've talked to don't think he's a great schemer. That's where I would take Bob Sutton, the Chiefs defensive coordinator, over what they have in Oakland. I think he's a better schemer. Um, we've seen the flexibility and what he does with that 3-4 defense. I think they will be unleashed this year. So it's going to be fun. And listen, I I did not grow up a Chiefs fan. I think all my friends did growing up, basically, in southwest Missouri. But I like it when the Chiefs are good. 
I really like it when the Raiders are good because that is the best rivalry in the NFL, in my opinion. So to see these two both, uh, we we you know we could see them be the number two seed in the AFC, the the team that comes out of this division. So it's going to be a ton of fun to watch and see how that shakes out. Let's go to the flip side, the NFC West, a division that, geez, um, it, it's. I guess you would pick Seattle to win this division. I like Seattle. I like the style of football they play. I hate their offense. It's very simple. But the 49ers are rebuilding. The Rams are rebuilding. The Cardinals are kind of on Treading the precipice. <laughs> of, yeah, I mean, they're they're getting older. You're relying on guys like Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald. And, you know, a, a team that, listen, they have lost some pieces over the years. And you, you have Bruce Arians, the head coach, calling out the wide receiver core, saying we got two guys here, Larry Fitzgerald and Jared Brown, who could play. The offensive line, question mark. So I, I listen. I like some of the pieces in Arizona. David Johnson is one of my favorite players in the NFL. I love Hassan Radek and Buda Baker. I mean, we gave them an A on draft weekend because of what they did there. But there are still just some question marks. And which Carson Palmer are we going to get? Are we going to get the Larry Fitzgerald who led the NFL catches last year, or are we going to see him start to slip a little bit? You know, I mean, he's he's thirty four years old now. All right, he's almost thirty five years old now. So. We, you know, there are just enough question marks with the Cardinals that I worry about their ability to, like you said, with the Chiefs. I think they're built to outscore you, and when they can't do that, everything falls apart. So I would pick Seattle just because they're they're proven. I think Russell Wilson is a great quarterback. I know the offensive line is going to be bad, but Russ does enough with his legs to mitigate that to some some standard. And then I think the receivers there are super underrated. So you're going to get some. They have great possession guys on that receiving core. So I think Seattle, listen, they they probably win 10, 11 games. And that's going to be enough to take this division easily because I think you kind of have, you know, San Francisco and the Rams just kind of fighting for that bottom spot unless the early signs we've seen from Jared Goff in the preseason prove to carry over to, to the regular season because he has looked amazing so far. And I, that might be a little hyperbole. He's looked very, very good. He's been very solid. Cooper Cup catches every damn ball that Jared Goff throws, it feels like. And we haven't yet seen Tavon Austin. We haven't really seen Sammy Watkins integrated into that offense after the trade. So I, I think the Rams are a team to be excited about, at least. When it comes to the 49ers and the Cardinals, it's just hard for me to get super excited about them. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I feel the same way. I, if I'm looking, you know, looking at this division, I, I kind of think... It's not really that close. I, I think the Seahawks are a team that they, while they're riding a veteran core, it's still a very good one. And I think they win the division. I think they rely way too much on Russ to just make a play rather than running a real offense, which is always scary. Now, I, but I still think they're the cream of the crop of this division. What's fascinating to me with this division is they have the two best, ironically, also two of the youngest head coaches in the NFL. Two of the best at scheming players open in Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay now. So, and then you got the and old Arians. guy, the, Shit, the old guy in Arians. Yeah. So, this is such a fascinating division because the best team is so horribly coached on offense, but their personnel is so good and their defense is obviously at, you know well coached. Then the other teams are going to be so well coached on offense, but the personnel is not there yet. We're going to wait on the 49ers to be rebuilt, and they got a good start. I think the Rams. Uh, you know, the Rams didn't have a ton of draft capital this year, and they made the most of it. You look at Cooper Cup, he fits exactly what McVay wants to do. They went out and got Sammy Watkins, who he, he's got to catch that ball. I know it's hard, like Matt said, to, you know, but that's a play everyone saw. And you look at you go, damn, Jared Goff, this is the guy yeah. 
We thought we this is the guy we thought we were getting. Me and you liked him a lot coming out of Cal. And last year, everyone's like, Goff's already a bust. Goff's won't last, last in this league. You go back and watch All or Nothing, and you go, who's coaching this guy? Because there's never anyone around him. Right. They, what they wanted to do didn't fit his strengths. Now they have a guy in McVeigh who is just capitalizing on all his strengths, and you're seeing the player that you thought you were getting, and the returns look really good right now. And I think it's going to carry over into the season. Now, do yeah, everyone's going to make the jokes. The Rams are probably still like that seven-win team, but it's a good seven-win Man, I would be year. so happy if I were them and won seven games. Exactly. So this isn't a very interesting division in terms of wins, losses, and playoffs because it's really Seattle to me. And I like what the Cardinals did with their picks on defense this year, but it's still Seattle to me. It's a very interesting decision for me and you, Matt, because this is the division you look at and you look at two to three teams kind of you know rebuilding. And I think they're doing a really good job of it to start it off. I agree. I, I mean, listen, I'm going to get you know told I'm a Niners homer. I picked them to win like six games. So I'm I don't expect them to be a great team, but you see the you see what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have done through the draft and free agency. This will be a different team. I like what the Rams have done. I mean, we'll see if that Sammy Watkins trade pans out because what they gave up for him was steep. You hope that you can get him re-signed if he's able to stay healthy. Hopefully a change of scenery will, will really help him. It's still the Seahawks division, though, uh, in my mind. And it, it is. I think it's an interesting division, maybe because we won't see a huge race down to the finish line for who's going to win the division. But to see how these rebuilds in Los Angeles and San Francisco look, what the Cardinals have as these young players like Reddick, like Baker, get kind of thrown into the mix to and be asked to replace guys like Darrell Washington and Tony Jefferson, who've left over the years for different reasons. So it's it's a fun division to watch. Um, one thing that we want to do. And, and this that was a clumsy segue, but uh, what the hell? Um, one, <laughs> one thing we want to start doing, it, I should back up. I'll tell you, my brain runs at like 300 miles an hour, and sometimes I'm talking about one thing, and I'm already thinking about two others. So that's that's what that sounds like right there. It's just shifting gears. So one thing we're going to do every week, like I said in the intro, college football is back this weekend, and I know it's not the, it's not the major games, but they're, damn it, it's football, and it's on TV. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to be excited about it. Um, we want to do something and introduce you to a player every week. As we move forward, that'll probably be a guy who stood out to us on Saturdays. But right now, it's someone that that you're looking forward to seeing this year. I went easy. I went with the top senior in the country, Harold Landry, a pass rusher from Boston College. Uh, he has early first round pick potential. Uh, he has that body type that everyone likes. He's you know six three. He's probably going to be around uh, two fifty five, two sixty. He can stand up. He could put his hand in the dirt. He's been incredibly productive at Boston College. Um, he picks off passes. He recovers fumbles. He, you know, he had 11 tackles against Florida State a couple of years ago. I remember charting that game. And it was the first game of his I ever charted and was like, oh, man, this kid's going to be something. So keep an eye on him. Uh, he, he's number seven for Boston College. And probably not the first place you've heard his name, but he has a, a very good chance to be a top 10 pick when next year's draft rolls around. Yeah, Landry's going to be a lot of fun to watch this year because I think when you look at, it seems like we don't really get a ton of outstanding senior talent as the years wear on because everybody leaves early. And Landry's kind of a guy that he's staying and hopefully he goes to the Senior Bowl so we get to watch. That'd be great. And yeah, he's, yeah, he's going to be awesome. Uh, I picked another senior, ironically, in Cedric Wilson, the wide receiver out of Boise State. This was one of my summer evals. You know, I try to watch at least 50 players, I would say, in depth, at least three games over the summer and really get a good read on some guys that I didn't get to watch during the season last year. Wilson was fascinating to me because 
you look at him, you go, okay, well, he's a senior. And okay, he started out at junior college. And his first year at Boise State last year, even though he wasn't the number one, they had Spurbeck there. Him and Rippian really formed a connection. Yeah, he had he you know, over 1,100 yards, uh, 11 touchdowns, another go up and get it kind of guy. But he can make people miss in the open field. And he was a co- more complete receiver than I expected going in. I saw him win over the top. The ball didn't always get there, but when it did, he ma- he's a big play threat. Now, these guys are so fascinating to me because when you look at a senior, you say, okay, well, why wasn't he good enough to come out early? He played quarterback in high school. Then he went to junior college and tore it up as a receiver in junior college. Now he's at Boise State. First year at Boise State, tears it up as a receiver at Boise State. What are we going to get from him this year? I think he's one of those players that can really rise. We've talked about the receiver class so much, and we haven't talked as much about him because there's a lot of underclassmen that can really shine. We, ha- we have Deion Kane. We have Cortland Sutton. We have so many good players like that. We'll see if Antonio Callaway could stay on the field this year. But Wilson's a guy that you know everybody should be watching because Boise State's going to be a fun team to watch this year between him and Ripian, and I think he's one of those receivers that's really going to burst onto the scene. Yeah, that's a good one, and that's, an, that's definitely an under-the-radar guy. So good on you for pointing that out. Hey, before we take our first break, before we get to BJ Kissel, I, I didn't tell you we were going to do this, but if you're watching the game at halftime, something really cool happened. Chris Mortensen is back on ESPN. He's been off the air for months, battling cancer. And 20 months, actually, is what he told me. He hadn't been in the studio in 20 months. He was back on there last night doing the halftime show with Adam Schefter. It's just good to see Mort back on TV. One of the classiest guys I've ever met, not just in football, but in life, period. Um, He's always been super, super kind and helpful to me. So, you know, the chances he listened to this podcast are pretty damn slim, but I just wanted to say uh, it's good to see you back, Chris, and and wishing you and and your family nothing but luck and and health as you move forward, man. So let's let's take a, a quick break, Connor, and we'll be back with the man, the myth, the legend, BJ Kissel of the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, everybody, welcome back to Stick to Football. And our next guest, we teased it at the beginning of the show, a guy I've known for, I'm afraid to say how long I've actually known you, BJ, but you are the the Chiefs team reporter. When I met you, you were a, I would, I think you were an unpaid blogger for SB Nation and that you played, you played college baseball. You have an athletic background, but you're one of those guys who like is literally living out your dream job by working for the Kansas City Chiefs now, covering the team as the main reporter. You do these awesome features and interviews with players and coaches and everything. So we didn't want to bring you in to talk about how good the Chiefs are going to be this year because you're going to be a little biased. But we wanted to talk to you about how you go from SB Nation or from being a pitcher at at K-State to where you are right now. So welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. I appreciate you not... uh saying how long we've known each other it date both of us i don't think either one of us want that i was trying to remember how it is it has been a long time um and correct me if i'm wrong because it it has been a long time we met because you you live in kansas city i live in joplin so we're, we're like two hours apart but you paid your own way and drove down to the senior bowl one year right which is like a 14 hour one-way drive and you were just like motivated yeah. and hit the road right yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like you said, I played college baseball. I got a journalism degree, and it took me a few years before I started using that. And, and at the time, I was at Destination. I was writing at their chief site, Arrowhead Pride. And uh, it's kind of a long story, but basically, what I learned after being at Arrowhead Pride for a while is if I wanted to, you know, take this seriously and move up in this, 
I had to get in front of athletes. I needed to interview athletes. And the easiest way to do that was to go down to the senior bowl and, and just get reps and just get in front of athletes and talk to them. And I remember having a conversation with my wife and saying, Hey, you know, at the time I was getting, you know, a few hundred bucks a month. It was just a small part-time thing. But I told her if I, if I really wanted to do this, if we wanted to see where this could go, I needed to pay my way down there. Um, I got a credential from SB Nation. That's all they were able to do. Um, but went down there and, and paid my own way. I think I spent like $1,200, just kind of like an investment. And I remember arguing with my wife because we didn't have a lot of money at the time. But I was like, you never know where this could lead us. And this is you know, something I've got to do. I've got to get in front of athletes and get used to interviewing and getting reps and doing that. And uh, yeah, I was down there. I mean, I'll never forget the first day I was up there. Uh, another guy, you and I both know, I checked in at the, the main hotel there in Mobile. And uh, Cecil Lammy with ESPN Radio in Denver kind of saw me. I must have looked like a lost puppy or something just sitting in the middle of that area. And he's like, you've never been here before, have you? I was like, is it that obvious? And he's like, no, just follow us around. We'll show you what's going on. And Matt, I think it was the next day, uh, that second day of practice, where he introduced us. And I think we kind of knew of each other just from Twitter and social media. But that second day, I believe, down the Mobile was the first time we actually talked and met in person. And one cool thing about the Senior Bowl, BJ, I know we've talked about this over the years, is that it it's not just an opportunity for players to go and showcase their ability, but it's like the NFL's biggest job fair. You know, it's like you have mm-hmm. scouts down there, coaches down there, media people down there, but you really do have to just kind of jump into it. And um, I, I know your wife. That's it. I, uh, um, I would love to hear off the air how that argument went because she's a, uh, she seems like a strong-willed individual. So good for you being able to swing that. But from there, everything just kind of took off like a, a roller coaster for you, right? I mean, it was from there to doing more and more work. And I think one thing that that you did that I remember about your your path to this point that a lot of people could probably take something from is that you knew what you wanted to do. You knew you wanted to write features and do long form work, but you didn't say no to other opportunities. You know, especially in the early days of Bleacher Report, you just like jumped in and you were willing to do anything we asked you to do, right? Yeah. I try to do a little bit of everything and you try to find your niche. I think that was one of the the best pieces of advice that I got early on in, in, in figuring out how to do this is that, you know, there's so many people now that want to be sports writers and with all the, the websites and blogs and everything, you know, across the, the spectrum of sports media. Now it's, it's easy to find a platform to write, but it's hard to separate yourself. And so the most important thing for me was, you know, I can look up stats. And when I was at destination, I was charting personnel groupings and offense and, and writing to that, you know, faction of fans. Uh, but when I went to Blues Report, and it's funny because you talk about the Senior Bowl, that was my first, like, hey, this is my opportunity to go down and get reps doing this. It's easy to get credentialed there. You can go down, you can just, after practices, if you haven't been, if anyone hasn't been there before, it's just a big free-for-all with people out on the field with the players, and you just meet so many media people. But, uh, you know, it was a year, Matt, you and I talked about coming over to Bleacher Report that first year I was there, and it was a few months later that I actually came over and started the Bleacher Report. Uh, and kind of took things from a national level. And you talk about the long-form stuff. Uh, it was the next year when I was actually at the Senior Bowl again uh, for Bleacher Report that I interviewed Rob Ferron and did that story. And it, it's interesting, we can get into that later as far as uh, what that story ended up doing for me and being in the position I'm at now. But uh, for anyone that knows you and I, obviously we're good friends, we've known each other a while, and 
you know, you kind of helped me because you vouched for me uh, to the agent to let me be able to tell Rob's story because no one had told that yet. Um, so as far as me being in this position, I know you, you and I joke about it all the time, but I'm indebted because you have to have an opportunity. You have to work your tail off to do this. You also have to get a little lucky and be good to people. And um, it's been kind of a crazy ride. But yeah, for me, it really started uh, at the Senior Bowl and then the next year. Uh, at the Senior Bowl, going down and doing a couple of long-form stories. I did one up here this year, the cornerback uh, that played in MIAA not too far from you know Kansas City. I uh, played over at Lindenwood and Washburn. But, um, yeah, it all kind of stems for me from the Senior Bowl, for sure. Yeah, BJ, I think that's a great lead to what I was going to ask you next, is because it seems like everybody that works in sports media or media in general has at least one story of kind of catching a big break or the moment they always remember where they were like, well, this kind of got me where I am when you look back on it. For me, it was as simple as I was playing uh, right after, right before college, uh, right before I graduated college, I was playing in a flag football charity tournament, and the guy running it knew somebody at Bleacher Report, and that simple connection kind of changed my life and what I decided to do as a career. Instead of entering the business field, I ended up here. What, was, what would you call your most significant break or your you know, most significant lead into the industry that you find yourself in now? Uh, that's a great question because for me it's really three and I kind of already touched on two of them but for me it was it was that first decision to go down uh to the senior bowl because at the time and anyone who's right out of college that's bouncing around jobs trying to figure out what they want to do can kind of relate uh especially I was you know had been married for just a couple years and we didn't have a lot of money and I'm trying to convince my wife that I need to spend twelve hundred dollars to go down to you know drive 14 hours 14 hours to, to Alabama to talk to college football players. And she had no idea what the senior bowl was at the time. And, you know, my big break was making that decision and telling her that, you know, you never know where this could go. And that was kind of my, my selling point to her is that she knew how much time I had been putting into it when I was writing for free. And I know that's, a, that's kind of a buzz thing that, that people talk about now, but it's, it's what I needed to do. Um, but going down to the senior bowl and then meeting Matt, honestly, and Matt probably gets tired of me saying it, you know, there's three, three or four people that you're always indebted to, to, to get you where you want to go. And, and meeting Matt and getting the opportunity at Bleacher Report uh, was huge for me because I loved Arrowhead Pride and I loved SB Nation. It's, it's those fans in that community that really kind of supported me and kind of egged me on when I was first starting that kind of made me want to put more effort into my writing and see if I could take it as a career. Because when I first joined, I was just a cheap fan trying to interact with other people. I was living in California. I had no one to talk cheese with. So uh, when I first joined Arrowhead Pride, it was just as a fan like anybody else can create an account. Uh, and when I started taking it more seriously and more seriously, and it kind of led to that. But when Matt gave me the opportunity at Bleach Report, and we talked about it, and, and Dylan and, and Ian and all the guys there, Colin, um, you know, for me, it was really the opportunity of Bleacher Report presented in that it was like that three-step editorial process. And I don't know if it's the same as it now as it was when I was there, but you know, you'd have an assignment editor that would kind of go over uh, the stories you have that week and then your copy editors and then the, the feedback editors um, was probably the most important for me for some of the, the storytelling stuff I like to do. And Kay Jennings, if she's still there, she was fantastic. And I still remember her helping me on a lot of the things that I would write there, but uh, the opportunity at Bleacher Report. And then, you know, my next big break um, was this, the Rob Haran story. Uh, I did Bleacher Report and I went down there. And I'll never forget, it was probably one of, one of the most impactful 30 minutes of my life, my professional life, I should say, um, to for me to be where I am because of what that story 
kind of did for me down the road. But, you know, I went up to, I was in the, the hotel, the main hotel there at the senior bowl. And I was doing the story on Rob Ron. I grew up in, in South central LA and, uh, had a rough, had a rough upbringing. Uh, he didn't have it easy and he had never told the story before. There's a lot of things that people didn't know. And he's creating a, a lot of buzz for himself down there that week at the senior bowl. And like I said, Matt kind of vouched for me to be able to tell his story, uh, to his people. And we went up into his hotel room. There's just three of us sitting in that room and, uh, just kind of got him to break down and, and talk about his story. And it was powerful. It was one of the most powerful, most real moments professionally I've ever had. And I, I wrote the story. I feel like I did his story justice. And, um, you know, to flash forward, just so you guys know where I'm coming from, when I interviewed for the job with the Chiefs, it was about a six-week-long process. Like I had 13 or 14 different separate interviews to get this job. And right in the middle of that, when I had one of those interviews, I walk into the, the VP of business operations for the chiefs. I sat down in his office and he handed me the Robert Ron story that he had printed off that he had just found on the web and said, can you do this for us? Wow. This is the kind of stuff we're looking for. And I hadn't sent it to them. They just found it. And I said, absolutely. Like, I love telling stories. I love football, but I love telling stories. And that's what I'm getting to do in this job now, which is why it's just a, it's a perfect fit for me, not just because I grew up a Chiefs fan, but because I love telling stories and digging a little deeper uh, and doing those things, and uh, that was a huge part. And then the last <laughs> big break, I guess, and it, it's crazy because you never know the interactions you have. And when people ask me for my advice on you know how to get into this business, never burn it, never not just never burn a bridge, but just never under never underestimate how every interaction you have, no matter how small you think it is, could help you down the road because. You know, while I was living in California, uh, my wife grew up in Manhattan, Kansas, just two hours west of Kansas City, and we were going back one Christmas to visit her family. And I just put on social media, you know, hey, going back to Manhattan, love my time at K-State, just something generic like that. And one of the guys who at the time was a beat reporter covering the Chiefs uh, that we had followed each other, I didn't know him, his name was Herbie Teope. And I put that out on social, and he messaged me and said, hey, if you're coming to Manhattan, you want to meet for a beer? And I was like, sure, I'll meet you for beer. So we met up at Carlos Kelly's in Manhattan, had three or four beers one night. I exchanged phone numbers. And I don't talk to him for a year. We never go back and forth. A year later, this is right after Megan and I, my wife, had moved back to Kansas City. I was writing a Bleacher Report at the time. I was coaching high school baseball. He reached out to me and said, hey, what do you know about you know live TV production? And I was like, Herbie, I don't know a thing about live TV production. He goes, I just got a job at a, a local production company as the production manager, and we're hiring a production coordinator. And he goes, I know you're passionate about this business, and I know you can write, but if you want to move forward in this, you need to get some TV experience, and this opportunity can help you with that. I go, Herbie, that sounds great, but I still don't know anything about TV production. And he goes, oh. We had the beers. You're a guy that I would want to work with. You seem like a good dude. You've always been good to people that we both know. And I checked up on you and uh, come interview for this job. And if you feel like it's a good fit, um, I can teach you this business. And I ended up getting that job, worked there for a year. And then when this chief's job opened, I had to have TV experience, not just the writing, but I had to have TV experience to get it. And because I had been at Niles Media Group was the company, um, they had crewed me to do some sideline reporting for some division two football games in the area. I had just enough TV experience to make the people at the chiefs comfortable enough to give me the job. And it was all because 
on social media. I said I was going to Manhattan and I met a guy for a beer. I mean, it was really that simple. And so when I talk about networks and relationships, if I hadn't gone to the Senior Bowl and met Matt uh, and paid my way down there, and if I hadn't have met Kirby for beers, I'd never be in this position. That's the thing. I, I, this has kind of gone a different direction than I thought it would, which is always good. I like it when we just sit here and talk about stuff. But I always tell people, like, never piss someone off on social media who has an opportunity to help you out later. Like, I, I see it, and I know we've talked about this. The, the three of us have all talked about this individually. You see a lot of young guys try to make a name for themselves on Twitter, especially by going after established media people. And why would you ever do that? Instead of, and you don't have to kiss ass, but instead of, you know, trying to be a guy whose name, you know, gives you a, a, a good memory of, oh, like that dude's a hard worker or yeah, he's really smart. Or, you know, instead of nah, that guy was a troll, like I would never want us to hire him. And that's, you know, that's how it goes. A lot of places is, you know, if we're going to hire someone, either I get asked or Connor gets asked or someone, you know, gets asked about what are your, what is your impression of this person? What kind of interactions have you had with them? So what you were saying there about like, you just like, you know, life getting to, to where you are, BJ, it, it really is. It's like two or three opportunities. And it feels like if you go the other way with it, you end up, you might still be coaching high school baseball, which you would probably love to do. But, and, and you know, for me, not having gone to journalism school, there's like one or two things. If I hadn't just blindly applied for a job at Bleacher Report, uh, I would I would definitely not be here. If I hadn't, you know, really taken all the advice that Dylan McNamara gave me, and he took me under his wing completely as a, a guy who was just, you know, I, I liked the draft and I wrote about it on the side for free. And he took me under his wing and kind of taught me how to be a journalist. So it's it's definitely... You can't overlook or, you know, be too arrogant to say no to opportunities because you just never know which one's going to pay off. Yeah, and the world becomes so much smaller when you get into this business. And you talk about the social media stuff, and it might not even be the person that you're talking to or you're interacting with or criticizing that you eventually talk to for a job. It may be a third, a friend of a friend or somebody that knows that guy who's good friends with them that somehow your name comes up. I mean, it's just the world becomes so small, and it's you've got to be aware of that kind of stuff. And if it's that difficult to, to treat people right, where you have to consciously think about that kind of stuff, then it's probably not a good situation to begin with. Uh, you're just naturally, you know, a good person to people. And Matt, I think that's the reason that you've gone so far as you have. And I've seen the interaction you have with people. If you're just, you're just fair and good to people and just never take things too seriously, um, you'll be all right. That, that's, I can only speak for my past and what I've been able to do, but I know we got off tangent and that stuff uh, stuff earlier, but yeah, it's <laughs> easy to see how people are trying to, to make a name for themselves now. Yeah, it is. It's kind of wild. And, and people don't realize that as big as the Twitter landscape is, as big as social media is, like people like Matt, like you or myself, like you don't forget those like really bad interactions where you just felt, like insanely intact like you don't just like forget those if that person did apply for a job or anything like that and like you said bj it's such a small world it makes it that much more interesting but just to get back to the field because i think your path is at, like fascinating especially in today's like modern age where everyone's trying to break in but it's such a congested it's an oversaturated field where it's so hard to do so what is one thing that when you went into the job that you just, you didn't realize or you weren't ready for, or you didn't expect, you know, being, you know, around a team every day or just 
whether it's with the travel or whether how it affects your family life. Like I, I know you and your wife, like have a kid now, like, ha- like how much different or what's one thing that really just surprised you throughout all of it. Now that you've been there for a little while. I think the biggest thing is just, and maybe not surprise me, but just you learn the process of how things happen. You know, you, you pull the curtain back and you see press conferences and how the questions at pressers kind of, shape what people are talking about because everyone kind of in in an aggregating world um you know if we go to a press conference and ask a bunch of questions about one player then a lot of you know everyone's talking about that one player so you kind of see where it all begins uh and how things are brought up but yeah the, the traveling the the what the the players go through and how much time and effort they put into it and just how this whole everybody involved just kind of their hand in things and it's really hard to explain uh, and articulate unless you kind of have been there or you've seen it it's just it's so much bigger uh, than than I knew and just kind of how all the, the pieces come together uh, but you know it, it's also a lot more, so much more fun uh, than I thought it, it, at first I was kind of worried because it was taking my hobby away you know it was just kind of a fun thing I did on the side and you know, we had cheap season tickets when we moved back to Kansas City, so it, it got rid of my Sundays going to the games. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, once the the fanfare kind of wears off, and it, it wore off really quickly because you get so busy, um, but finding that work-life balance, and I think everyone that's in this this field and in this business and sports media can kind of attest to this, especially if you've got kids, is trying to find that balance and trying to be able to turn it off uh, when you go home and when your phone buzzes, you don't think that some big move's happening or something. You're going to have to go run off and write something real fast. Uh, I'm not sure I'll ever get quite used to that, but uh, it's definitely a lot easier now with uh, a couple kids and a little baby girl now uh, than it was when I first started, for sure. I feel bad because we haven't really let our listeners get to know the the BJ off the field here. We've talked so much about the seriousness <laughs> of this job. You're the guy that my 30th birthday party, we were playing darts and doing shots of Johnny Walker blue. So you're a lot more fun than we've made this out to be. So um, we're going to run through my favorite part of every interview that we do. Hopefully you've listened to the podcast and you know what, what's about to happen, but we're going to run you through the gauntlet where we ask you five questions. It, it's not like so much a first thing that comes to your mind, but, but it's kind of rapid fire. So if you're if you feel you're up to the task, are you ready to go? I, I guess I don't have a choice. You really don't. No. That's fair. You don't. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number one. I think I know the answer to this. What is your favorite beer? Or you can go cocktail if you want. You can mix it up. Ooh. Um either Boulevard Wheat or I'll go uh Tito's and Tonic. That's a man who's been drinking with me for years because those are my two favorite drinks. So, damn it. That's what. So, I like having you around. There we go. This is probably my favorite one we ask people because they always seem to know right away, even though it's as deep as it is. What's the meanest tweet you've ever been sent? Oh, man. Post game after a loss, uh, it's not a pretty place to be, uh, in my mentions. Some people haven't necessarily cared for our well being on our flight home uh, oh, from a road game. I'll say that. Yeah, I don't even know what to say to that. I don't know how that's, you that's all, that's, all, that's, that's all I'm going to go there. Now, before that, when I was a bleach report, there was there were some there were some ones that were probably there, but it seems like that was a long time ago. Now. I don't remember those. All right, question number three. I'm trying. We're going to br- try to bring the tempo back up after that one. After people are wishing <laughs> that the Chiefs' plane would crash. Uh, question three. Yeah, fans are awful. 
and this you can cheat here because you play college baseball. What's the one game none of your friends can beat you at, whether it's Madden or FIFA or cornhole in the backyard? What's your one game you're unstoppable at? Well, Matt, I think you know the answer to this question, and I'm pretty sure it's cornhole. Anything that involves throwing something accurately, uh, I'm pretty good at that because I did play college baseball. I played at K-State, but I feel like 82, so I needed to know where the ball was going uh, at all times. Even then, that wasn't good enough most of the time, so I'm pretty accurate with just about anything I'm throwing. You're like the Alex Smith of cornhole. (laughs) There you go. I know where it's going. (laughs) All right, number four. Now, you can't answer this by saying my wife because every, we've figured out everybody cheats on this one. On a deserted island, who's your dream girl to be stranded with? My daughter. It's not my wife. <laughs> oh, wow. my daughter. You found another. <laughs> oh, my God. We have to change the All rules. Right, your wife yeah, is not going to listen. Found a loophole. There's no way Megan's listening loophole. to this podcast, I have to put a, BJ. Yeah, I'm putting a ban on that loophole, too, but we'll let BJ get away with it. What? I'll give you this. Uh, I'd say Carrie Underwood because my wife would be Okay. Fine. Okay. That's, that's not a bad answer. Not a bad answer. Okay. Probably the most important question we ask every week. Ketchup or mustard on a hot dog? I'm not going to be the lame guy and say both, but most of the time it's, it's ketchup. But I don't <sighs> Woo, judge, I don't Another judge win. <laughs> I don't judge mustard people, but I'm a ketchup guy. So I, I don't know if anyone has said mustard since we introduced that question. I really don't. No, nah, man, you're you're taking the L on this every, one every time. week. It happens, and I'm the one who books the guests, so I'm like self sabotaging yeah, here. <laughs> Why? I need to start asking people oh, up man. front, like, "Hey, uh, what do you prefer?" Okay, and actually, our, we're full. We can't have you on the podcast. So, uh, BJ, before we before we get out of here, and thank you, dude. I always it's always funny when I ask people, you know, "Hey, can you come on the podcast this week?" We need like ten minutes, and then I look down and we've recorded for thirty. You know, and it's like, oh, wait, so. But we've been getting shit for for doing a short podcast, so you you definitely helped us get over that hour mark this week. So, is there any any like parting thought that you'd like to to throw out there before we hop off? I don't think so. I just think when we talked about coming on and, and what we were going to talk about, I think for anybody who's getting interested in this business, and I'm Matt, I know you get questions all the time, and, and people ask me all the time. And I, the reason I think we get along so well, Matt, is that neither one of us feel like we're experts. Like it's weird for me sometimes to answer that question because I don't feel like I've I've made it by like, who am I to explain how to get here? Cause our paths are, are kind of similar in ways that it wasn't traditional, but you know, people seem to know just to work your tail off and be good to people. It's, it's not rocket science. And then the other last thing I say is you have to be a little lucky. I don't think anybody that, that kind of makes it isn't going to admit that they were a little lucky at some point. Somebody had to give them a chance and then they had to kind of run with it, but they had to be a little lucky to get that opportunity. And uh, then yeah, then you just kind of run with your opportunity. Love it. That's very well said. All right, BJ, thanks for coming on. And everyone can follow you on Twitter at Chiefs Reporter. Definitely want to do that. Not only if you're a Chiefs fan, but just to get like a cool look kind of behind the scenes of an NFL team over the course of the entire year. You, you're you out there every week on the road, at home, during training camp, doing, doing it all, giving people even breaking news. You've been breaking a lot of news lately. So it's, it's definitely a great account to follow. Thanks, BJ. Appreciate uh, it, man. Guys, I appreciate having me on. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Stick to Football. And we like to close this show out with a little something called Draft on Draft. Uh, we used to pop tops for this, but we're recording in the morning. We did last so week <laughs> I'm a, while you were gone. I haven't popped a top yet. We, we'll bring that back soon. Um, we, I need to get like a kegerator in the office and 
Hey, if you're a beer uh, brand out there listening, hint, hint Boulevard, and you want to sponsor this segment, you you DM us, let us know. But uh, last week, our intern Kennedy started uh, a, a budding college volleyball player, superstar, now uh, the sick to football intern. So she's going to read the questions and we're going to give you our thoughts. Uh, so let's fire away. All right. So Ace Smith, 13 on iTunes, first wanted to say, guys, you're not allowed to do 30-minute podcasts. That's not cool. <laughs> they have to be at least an hour, okay? Minimum an hour. But he wants to know, should the Colts consider this a lost season before it even starts after the news of Ryan Kelly being out and huge question marks around Andrew Luck? Oh, man. I don't know that you can come out and say... You, know, you definitely can't come out and say, hey, this is a lost season. But I think internally, you always set expectations. And with Chris Ballard being a new general manager, he has a different vision for this team than probably Chuck Pagano has as an incumbent head coach. So if you're Chuck Pagano, you're probably coaching for your job. So you can't say, I lost my center and I lost my quarterback. You got to give me another chance. But if you're Chris Ballard, you could definitely go to Jim Ursay and say, hey, man, you know, I inherited a shitty roster that needs a lot of work. I lost my foundation piece at center. My quarterback's banged up. So, you know, maybe this takes four years instead of three to get it turned around. But I don't know, Connor. I don't think you can I don't think you can punt on twenty seventeen if you're Chuck Pagano. No, you can't. I mean, listen, this isn't the New York Jets or what it seems like the Buffalo Bills are trying to do, what the Browns have done in the past. Um, but when it comes down to it, you do need to protect your franchise player, something that the last regime did not do. And they did a horrible job of protecting Andrew Luck. And we're seeing that now, we're, you know, with him not even being ready for the start of the season. So, like you said, Matt, you nailed it. Is Pagano going to coach the team to, you know, obviously win as many games as they can, as dumb as that sounds? Ballard might sit back and look at it. He inherited a bottom five overall roster, and he has a very good piece of quarterback, though, which really helps. You have to protect that piece. So I don't think they'll completely sell out on the year, especially in that division, but at the end of the day, they do need to tread very carefully with luck. And I don't think that Ballard will be willing to rush him back. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you can't. ND2490 on iTunes asked, who is the one player you wish would have reached their full potential in the NFL but never did? Trent Richardson. <laughs> <laughs> on your great make my life so much easier. Um, that's tough. Um, there was a guy uh, several years ago coming out of the University of Illinois, uh, Michael LaShore, running back. The Packers actually drafted him in the second round, and he was my top-rated running back in the 2011 draft, I guess it would have been. I, I think I had him as a top-15 player. It was just a stud uh, at Illinois, but then got to the NFL and uh, tore his Achilles and then um, just never could get healthy, could never stay healthy, and was out of the league quick. I mean, he was he was in the NFL like three years. So I think injuries just really shortened who he could have been but that's the one that comes to mind most recently for me yeah for me it's uh John, the one of the more recent ones is jonathan franklin from ucla he uh he yeah, has another round yeah. four pick from the packers in 2013 and during his rookie year he had a neck injury and it ended his career and when you look at the revolving door that's been the running back position for the packers things might have been different if jonathan franklin didn't have that neck injury he might still be there today and be their franchise guy he's only 27 years old now and it was a real shame after being an All-American for UCLA to see his NFL career, you know, basically over before it ever started. Oddly enough, I want to say he was also my top-ranked running back that year. So, um, yeah, super talented. Was like a do-it-all back. I really, really liked him. Yep. That's a good answer. Okay, Alex Berger on Twitter 
asked, what resources would you recommend for someone trying to learn more about the X's and O's side of the game? I always tell people, and I'm sure you know, you've seen me tweet about this and stuff, but I am like super self-taught. A lot of what I know, I've, I've just either bothered somebody to explain to me or I've tried to learn on my own. So I actually have a list that I could tweet out of, of books that I, I've read. Uh, Smart Football, he has two books. His name's Chris Brown. Yep. Two books that are very good. Pat Kerwin, uh, who works for SiriusXM, has a good book called Take Your Eye Off the Ball that really teaches you a lot about watching watching the game and not watching everything else that goes on. So, you know, I, for me, that's what worked was you know, kind of teaching myself by reading. You know, if there's a book that a head coach has put out there, I've probably read the damn thing. But you could also follow people like Matt Bowen on Twitter, follow people like Jeff Schwartz on Twitter, guys who have done it in the NFL at a pretty high level and now spend their time teaching it. You know, Matt's with ESPN. Jeff does a lot for serious so those would be be two great resources. And then just don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah, I think that summed it up pretty well. Uh, one Loki thing you could do is become really good friends with my co-host here because <laughs> he sent me a great box of books for Christmas. That uh, Oh, yeah, I forgot about one, that. One, yeah, one that's really good, Ron Wolf's book, The Packer Way. If you want to learn more about completely turning over a front office and a franchise, Ron Wolf's book is really good. Um, I think reading is a bit of a lost art. And if you want to le- really learn more about football, not even just the X's and O's of the game, but Chris Brown's smart football will definitely teach you that. But just, you know, books in general by people that have worked in the league is fascinating. And you'll be shocked at things you didn't know how quickly you learn. Okay, this next question by Adam Heisler is pretty brutal. But you, that's our guy. You have to answer it. Do you take Blake Bortles or Brock Osweiler? Jesus Christ, Adam. Um, <laughs> this isn't fair because so Adam's a Adam was our original intern, Kennedy. The was year that really? you applied, but were, but you were too young. Yeah, I was eighteen. Adam was the guy who yeah, he's the guy who interned. And you can't take an eighteen year old blonde to Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, that's asking can't. for no, a oh yeah, that's not fist fight. <laughs> that's not so good. we took Adam, who's from Mobile. Um, and I'm just delaying answering this question because I hate it. I would take geez, I would take Bortles on talent. I don't, yeah. I have a take Bortles, I guess. I don't like either one of them. It's it's gross, but, uh, and they're both just seem very mentally fragile at this point, but I guess I would take Brock and try to get him back to what Denver did with him when he was somewhat capable of running an offense, where I, I've only seen Bortles do anything in garbage time, but you can go either way because they're both just so awful. You know, I've I've honestly, swear to God, I've had people say, "Well, Bortles threw thirty-five touchdowns so, one oh, year." Stats, but lie. yeah, touchdowns are not all created equally. That's Those all lie. came when they were down by like two scores in the fourth quarter. So get that shit out of here. But that is a tough one. I would probably rather have Geno Smith than either one of those I guys. Agree. Tevin B on Twitter wants to know who will have a better career, Cooper Cup or Gerald Everett. I'm personally a big. I'm repping the big sky right now, so I'm going to say Cooper Cup. But that's just me. <laughs> You fit in so well with this group because everyone on this podcast loves Cooper Cup. Uh, I'm going to guess Tevin's a, a big Rams fan because you're asking about Cup and Gerald Everett, whom I like. I liked Gerald Everett, really athletic tight end. I think he'll try to be the Jordan Reed of this offense for Sean McVay. But I would take Cooper Cup. Um, you know, we talked about it early in the show. The kid catches everything, and I know he's he wasn't as big or as fast as a lot of people thought he would be coming out of Eastern Washington once we saw him in person at the Senior Bowl. But his hands and his route running and his anticipation of where to be on the field is special. You know, I had I wrote about this. He and Jared Goff already have chemistry and a connection because they have the same agent. So 
Cup and Golf were throwing together before they were ever teammates. So I really think that he will come in and be that safety valve for Jared Goff and be the guy that, as a quarterback, if you know you've got that guy that's just going to be open for you all the time, that is so underrated. I think that's who Cooper Cup can be. Yeah, I agree. I think Cup fits um, McVay's system perfectly because he's so reliable. And when you look at what they want to do, and you've seen some examples. I think it was uh, Brian Baldinger on Twitter did a really good breakdown of how they scheme Cup open. You're going to see so much of that this year. I think it's going to take a little time for Everett to get on the field. As you know, Camp and I said on the fantasy special last week, never trust the rookie tight end. I just think Cup's going to be a guy that's going to be in the league for 10 years and catch a lot of passes. Yeah, and they have Tyler Higby at tight end, yep. a really good player who fell in the draft because of some off-field stuff. So it's I think it's easier for Cup to get on the field right now than it is for Gerald Everett. Call Me Kelso on Twitter asked, if Cutler outperforms the expectations, what do you do about Tannehill? He has a huge contract. Do you trade him? I think moving positions is pretty crazy, but what do you do? I don't think you could trade him because his contract. I mean, he... You know, he signed that four-year, $77 million extension not that long ago. So I think the only thing you can do is is would be to cut him. I think they have an, an out clause after the 2017 season. But, I mean, Cutler's still an old guy. And I know uh, Tannehill's 29. You know, Cutler is not a young guy anymore. So I, I don't know that you could see him and say, okay, this is our long-term guy. He's 34 years old. So And he's already retired once. So I, I don't know, Connor. I would I say if... If anything, you try to get you either cut Tannehill or try to restructure that deal and get some of that money out of there because he's and he's making very good money, especially next year. And he's making like nineteen eight next year, so you got to worry about that money more than anything. So there's an out in Tannehill's deal. Uh, okay, after I, I thought this there year, might be where they'd only have about four and a half million as dead cap, so he's probably going to get cut after this year, so they could use that out. Gase will go get his guy. One thing I find really interesting is, Matt, uh, if you had to guess off the top of your head, how old do you think Ryan Tannehill will be next year, next summer? Oh, he'll be 30. It's sneaky yeah. old for a guy that's yeah, he's been old. hurt, slow development. He's going to get yeah. cut. And it's he was an old quarterback when he was drafted. Exactly. You know, is, is what people forget because you know, he kind of he had a longer to college. I mean, he was drafted a long time ago. I mean, it was 2012. He was a 24 year old rookie, if I remember right. So, yeah. I and, mean, I think that we've talked a lot about this, that next this upcoming quarterback class is so deep. It's going to be interesting to see which teams move off their starters to get a young guy. Right, we can see Miami do it. We, we can see Buffalo do it with Tyrod Taylor. And that's not to mention the teams that we already know need a starting quarterback. You know, Jacksonville, the Jets, the Niners. I mean, there's a lot of teams out there that are going to need a quarterback. And we might have to throw Miami into that mix. But at least with Cutler, you would have a guy who could he could be your stopgap. You know, he could be a, a two to three year solution, I think. All right. This is our last question from I am Matthew Joe. What is your favorite position to scout and why? And by the way, guys, he thinks you guys should be called the draft punks as your fan base. <laughs> if that's a if that's a shout out like a, a relation to Daft Punk, then we could <laughs> yeah. have a pretty sweet logo out of it. I like it. Uh, my favorite position is quarterbacks, um, just because the pressure of it. You know, if you if you get a quarterback evaluation wrong, you're especially if you're in the you NFL, you're out of a job. If you do, if you're in my job and you go on wrong, you never hear the end of it. So I, I like that. I like the pressure of it. I like the psychology behind the position. You know, when you when you evaluate a quarterback, it's like you're an FBI profiler. You got to know everything that this kid has ever done, 
And you don't get to do that as much, you know, when you're scouting a right guard. It's just not as in-depth. But with quarterbacks, so much mental about it. So I, I really like that aspect of it. And, you know, he he brings up a good point. We we were looking for a nickname for our fan base, and I think we settled on, we asked you guys feedback. I think we, we settled on stickies. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's, we're gonna be the, they're going to be the stickies. <laughs> we're gonna, we had to make some shirts. I like that one. That's I, a good one. I, and before you answer, Connor, that, that's a good point. If, if we have any graphic design friends out there as a listener, hit us up. Hit one of the three of us up because uh, we would, uh, we've talked about this in the past, we would like to have some stick to football gear and, and things like that. And we could, you know, we would donate the proceeds to charity. We're not trying to make money off this. So if anyone out there wants to do that, definitely hit us up. But you, you still have to answer this question, Connor. Well, also, I think we should do for our iTunes reviews <laughs> this week. Why don't you leave your t-shirt ideas in your iTunes review? That's a so, good idea. I think that'll be a pretty cool way to get some t-shirt ideas drawn up. So leave us a review on iTunes. Leave your idea for a t-shirt. How about the best one wins a shirt? I like it. And I don't know if people have noticed, I have been following our super fans on Twitter. So like Anthony Mongaloosa, man. a Twitter follow this yep. week. All those guys who send in good questions every week got, got a Twitter follow. So we're going to, that's something, if you want the account to follow, just be interactive with us. You're going to get a follow from the six football account. I love that. Uh, my favorite position to scout would probably be defensive backs because it's what I have like the best track record with, I've noticed. But I agree with you that quarterbacks is the most exciting because, and I mean, listen, we've both completely missed. We've both hit. But there's so much that goes into it that it can be completely out of your hands sometimes. Like, if Pat Mahomes went to the Jets, do you think oh. he would have had a chance? No. If Pat <laughs> no. Mahomes went to, I mean, even like, there's just a lot of situations. He went to his perfect situation, so all those raw traits can develop and he could excel. So I think quarterback's fascinating because sometimes it's completely out of your hands and there's only so much you could do, but um, it's it's definitely the most fun too. It's also the most controversial. Everyone always loves debating quarterbacks. Yeah, and I would say like I think that I'm best at scouting wide receivers just because I played it, I coached it, um, but I mean no one's great at scouting any position, you know, like in the, in the, you might know the most about one position over another, but you know, when I, when I teach those scouting classes, one of the things I tell everyone is like, you're going to get a lot of these wrong and just try to learn from it because it, no one is, is an expert at any position because we all miss on at least one player a year per position. So that, that's a great question. That's a fun question. So that, that does it for this week. Um, a lot of good questions and keep sending those in. Um, you can send them to at stick to football. Like Connor said, leave those iTunes reviews, five stars if you could, please. You know what really helps us though is if you guys subscribe. Like we love the reviews, we love the Twitter follows. Nothing is better for us with the bosses than if you subscribe on iTunes or or whichever podcast app you like to use. And if you could download that Bleach Report app, like I know this is a shameless plug, but I promise you will like it. I will offer a money back guarantee for anyone who downloads the free Bleach Report app and doesn't like it. Uh, I don't even have the ESPN app anymore. I have it in years because I, I just use the BR app for everything. Um, and, and it's it's for me, it's better than Twitter because I don't have to see all the bullshit. I can just get like the scores and tweets and news I actually want. So that's my shameless plug of the week. What you guys, do you have anything you need to plug, Connor? You have some sweet hair today. I don't know what product that is. You should shout them out. I just got a haircut. Uh, shout out to my barber in Hoboken Stag Barbershop. I'll give them a little love. Today. It looks good. Thanks, man. dude. I'm all I'm all flat. Do you today. Have any well, I was also in the salt good. water all weekend, so I got a little of that salt oh, water hair now. Any product? Are you wearing any product? 
Oh, of course. I actually don't remember the name of it, though, as bad as that is. I know. Well, listen, if any product wants to sponsor the show, they can step right up (laughs) so I don't have to ever buy $10 product ever again. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, get, get, like if you know crew or lay flat or somebody wants to throw yeah, some, some pomade on, connor's way oh, yeah man. i don't want to smell like a teenager so i'm okay with axe <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right guys well that was an awesome episode kennedy another successful appearance on Thanks, the draft guys. on draft questions keep killing it so oh, kennedy yeah. what's your twitter handle so people can follow you and send you questions add kennedy l kurtz please send in your questions every week i think you guys set the stakes really high for all of your fans, you know, they have to send in everything now. So I'm looking for a lot of homework this week. (laughs) Next week will be a good one. We'll have Josh Lumen, uh, who's actually the, I don't know what his title is. He's in charge of Madden basically. So um, I've had a great relationship with those guys for several years. Madden comes out uh, this Friday, the 25th. So we'll have Josh on next week to talk about the new version of Madden. Who knows? Maybe we'll be giving some games away. I I hope so. Yeah, we might have a giveaway too. We have, we have some Madden codes that we will be giving away. Those will go out this Friday. We've got five of them. All you have to do to be entered to win one is, is tweet us a picture of you listening to the show. So re- let's recap that. Tweet pictures of you listening to the show. You get a chance to win Madden. Subscribe to the podcast. Download the BR app. Leave your review on iTunes with a t-shirt design question. And follow Kennedy on Twitter. I think that's all you have to do this week. It's not a lot. All right, guys. We'll catch you next week for episode 21. <laughs>